Hey, how you guys doing tonight? Woo! All right. A couple weeks into the semester now, you guys surviving? Come on, we just sang about victory and all this great thing. Come on, you guys are going to do it, man. You, know, you got a God that loves you and you're not doing this thing alone, so be confident. Hey, well, let me welcome you to service if this is your first time. My name is Tom Trask. I'm the campus pastor. I've been doing this for 14 years now. I've said the same little spiel for 14 years, just about every week. It's still true. We love you guys. And if you are a visitor and you're looking for a home to be a part of, I want to encourage you to get involved in Chi Alpha. we got great men and women in this ministry that want to hang out with you, want to live life with you. got these great things called life groups uh, where, you know, we can only do so much at a weekly service, but in those life groups, we can talk about things, get to know each other better, and just really encourage each other. And so if you're not part of one, you got to. It's a smart idea. But uh, let's go ahead and get into the message. I got to confess to you a little bit. Um, I think I'm a little bit, how, we, how do I say this? Post-Christmas depressed. I kind of like, I like Christmas. And honestly, my wife is like next level as far as liking Christmas. And so she's kind of sucked me into it. You know, the nonstop listening to songs, and I like all the buildup with, you know, all the Christmas lights and the trees, and presents are fine, but it, it's more than that. And so it's kind of like a drug. They kind of get you on it for like a month and a half and stuff, and then they take you off. And all the lights are gone, all the trees are gone, everything's gone, and it. it it's not those things I miss the most. I'm going to be honest with you. I really miss the smells of Christmas. Even though I can't eat anything right now, it always smells so awesome because my wife can cook and she can make beautiful things and sugar cookies and gingerbread. And she makes these things we call Buckeyes. They're like peanut butter balls dropped in chocolate. They're freaking awesome. And I love the smell of pine from, that comes from Christmas trees. And so uh, you go into a little bit of withdrawal after the season. At the same time, you know, if, if I'm on a beach in the middle of the summer, I really don't think I want the smell of hot cocoa and gingerbread houses. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes some smells are appropriate for a specific time but not at other times. And sometimes smells have to do with like are good in context or they might be bad in context. I love going to El Mogwe and getting their fajitas. I love opening that door and ah, the whiff of fajita just kind of rolls over me. What I don't like is smelling my jeans smelling like fajitas the next day when I go to put them on. I love the smell of smoke when you're sitting around a fire at the hayride. That's a lot of fun. Brings great memories. Not as fun if your house is actually on fire. <laughs> or, or, and sometimes it might be the amount too. 
a little bit of cologne can make a guy smell pretty good. Not so good when you go into the guy's locker room after practice and they try to relive an Axe commercial. Okay? Not good in any way. And tonight, I want to talk to you about an aroma that can be either sweet and pleasant or it can be kind of stinky. And that's the aroma of desperation. Okay? I Heads up, next week, Missy and I are going to be doing a little talk on, guess what, relationships. And I'm going to give you a nugget of advice a week ahead of time. When you are looking for Mr. or Mrs. Right, you don't want the aroma of desperation on you, okay? If you have that aroma on you, go take a shower and get rid of that crap. And if someone is pursuing you that has that cologne on, you run the other direction, okay? It's truth. A lot of times I think we hear the word desperation. Most people associate it with the negative thing. But spiritually, being desperate can be either a good or a bad thing. The determining factor is our reaction to it. Like, we are, like I said last week, it's our reaction to what the Lord has for us in our lives. This school year, we have been talking about discipleship. Surprise, I know. Discipleship is life change. Going from who we are today to becoming that person God created us to be. And often, the Lord will use, let's go with transitions, changes in our lives, and he will use it to kind of help perpetuate spiritual change in our lives too. Last week, we saw in Luke chapter 5, Jesus calling Peter, James, and John to leave what they knew, leave their life, their livelihood, their families behind, to follow him in a full-time capacity. That marked a major change in their spiritual development, right? Yes, nod your heads. It did. They would then spend the next three years hanging out with Jesus, eating, sleeping, ministering, being mentored by Jesus. And I'm sure it was an experience that the disciples never, ever wanted to end. But guess what? That's not how life works. Transitions and change are a natural part of life. You see it a lot of times. You know, you start with, you know, you're a little kid and you go to school for the first time. It's a lot more fun the first time than it is by the time you get to college. You make that transition into high school and things change a lot. For a lot of you, you faced another big transition coming to college this year. Some of you, you faced the transition of, for the first time, not living at home with mommy and daddy. You face the transition of getting your first job ever, and then your second job, 
because you hated the first job, and then you get another job because that one didn't work out so well either. <laughs> Abby laughs a little too hard. All right. <laughs> and here's the thing. As long as you're in college, there's going to be change. There'll be change soon for a lot of you because you'll be graduating and transition to a new season of your life. Change is scary, but it's also full of a lot of potential. And Jesus uses these times in our life to stretch us, to become the people he wants us to be. And you see, that's the situation that we find the disciples in tonight. We're going to be looking at a story found in John chapter 21. For these guys, a lot has happened. Most recently in their story, Jesus was crucified. Jesus, or excuse me, Peter denies Jesus three times. The disciples are scattered. Jesus comes back to life. He appears to them, kind of reassures them, encourages them. And finally, he was preparing to send them out. That's that third step in the process of discipleship. The disciples also knew that being sent out meant that Jesus was leaving. And that Jesus would be returning to heaven. And so that kind of sets up our text for tonight. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 1. If not, we actually do have the verses on the screen this week. And you can read along. All right, starting verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and the other two disciples. Peter said, or excuse me, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in a boat, and they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat, right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple, or excuse me, the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter, Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed on the boat with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dra dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come, with, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. To really understand what's going on, we need to put ourselves into the place of the disciples. you got to understand, life has not been easy for these guys. 
It has been up and down for three years. And the one consistent thing in their life, the physical presence of Jesus Christ, is about to end. And they knew that their lives were forever going to be different. That's kind of heavy. That's a lot to deal with. And a lot of times when we're faced with things, we feel a bit overwhelmed. Keep in mind, these guys were your age. If you get overwhelmed by the things you face, imagine going through what they were facing. And because they were overwhelmed, they became desperate in their lives. And while all the disciples were probably a little bit desperate, Peter was probably the worst of them all. In life, people, desperate people, do desperate things. And so tonight, I want us to look at three behaviors of a desperate person. Along the way, we'll look at, well, the bad of being desperate and the good. The first behavior I want us to look at tonight is desperate people often make desperate decisions. If you want to go with a bad, desperate decision, you got Peter returning to fishing. You need to understand, this wasn't just Peter saying, hey, I'm going to take the day off and go hang out and, you know, chill by the, the lake a little bit and do some fishing. The verbiage that Peter uses here insinuates that he was planning to go back to the occupation of being a fisherman. He was returning to his old life. Knowing that, you've got to ask, why? Why would he do something like that? And if you read some commentaries, you've got some speculation. You know, maybe they needed some money. I would imagine with Jesus' crucifixion, uh, their offerings may have dropped a little bit. And following Jesus does take a risk. And it can be hard to afford to do it. I can tell you for a fact there are a lot of staff and give years who have given up the potential of very good paying jobs to serve you guys. Give your staff, give your give years a hug and say thank you for doing that. We've had students who were called to be teachers overseas or maybe in low-income areas. Jesus, following Jesus will come as sacrifice in your life. Peter, we know for a fact that he at least had a wife. I don't know if he had kids, but he had a wife to take care of, and as a man, you need to provide. And so maybe it was a money thing. But I've done ministry long enough to know that money can be often be an excuse for a deeper reason not to do what the Lord wants you to. In my opinion, I believe that Peter feels unfit for service. You see, I believe that Peter's decision to go back to fishing had more to do with feelings of guilt and feeling unworthy to be Jesus' disciple and if he couldn't be Jesus' disciple, how could he possibly teach people about the gospel? Hang with me for a minute here, okay? This was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after 
his resurrection. They had seen Jesus. They had talked to Jesus. They had touched Jesus. Jesus was alive. And knowing that, there should be an amazing joy and a sense of relief for these guys. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. Everything that we've gone through for three and a half years is worth it because of this moment. The good news of Jesus Christ brings life. But here's the thing. We have an enemy that likes to twist the truth in our lives. We have an enemy that wants to bring us death and manipulate God's salvation to try to put us into bondage. You see, guilt and remorse are extremely powerful tools. And they're tools that Satan will use to try to manipulate our emotions. And if he can manipulate our emotions, it will then impact the decisions we make. Jesus' resurrection should have brought Peter life. But I believe that he allowed Satan's attacks to influence his decision. Instead of bringing life, Jesus' resurrection actually brought guilt to him about what he had done. For three years, I followed Jesus. I lived with him. I experienced his love. I experienced his miracles. I saw him touch so many lives. And yet, when life got rough, I betrayed him. I walked away from him. I denied Jesus as my Savior. I denied him as my friend. I denied that I even knew him. See, in my mind, I imagine Peter felt stupid and guilty and unworthy. And he probably thought, you know what? Forget it, man. It's just better if I go back to being a fisherman. But students, you need to understand that Jesus isn't looking for self-deprecation. He is here to bring you redemption. And so there's a couple quick lessons I want you to get here about making desperate decisions. The first one is this. Don't compound a sin by continuing to sin. Just because you made one bad decision, stop making bad decisions follow up on it. Satan's goal was never to have Peter deny Jesus. It was to have him stop following Jesus. One sin leading to another, to another, until he stopped being a disciple altogether. I mentioned last week how we respond to Jesus will determine our destiny. It will determine the kind of disciple we become and what we do for the Lord. The Word tells us that Jesus is the light and everything exposed to the light becomes visible. As I go through tonight's message, I'm going to throw in a few questions here or there. They're just things I want you to write down and then during response time, 
I want you to talk to Jesus about these things. You might need to do it later on in your prayer time and stuff, but I want you to be thinking a little bit more about what I'm going to say tonight. And so, here's the first question I want you to think about. How do we respond when Jesus shines a light on an area in our lives where there is a sin? How do we respond when Jesus shines a light on an area in our lives where there is sin? Do we run from the light and to continue in our darkness? Or do we examine our lives by the light of Jesus Christ and live in the light with Jesus Christ? You see, Jesus' light is meant to bring us freedom. But once again, you got saying he's there and he's going to try to twist it to bring guilt and condemnation. That's not what the Lord wants. But he does expose our sin so that we can change and be set free. Go and sin no more. Not stay in it and be the same. It's up to you and me to accept the change that Jesus wants for us. The second lesson about making a desperate decision You need to know this too. Jesus doesn't cancel our call because of our sin. That's got to sink down in your hearts, guys. Jesus doesn't cancel our call because of our sin. If he did, no one would have a call. Yes, there are consequences if we don't obey the Lord. If I didn't study tonight to put together a message, it would end up being really awkward and uncomfortable with me just kind of hanging up here and be like, all right, I got a half hour to kill. Charades? Oh, all right. And I do believe that we can choose to walk away from God's call on our lives. That, that's a part of it. Absolutely, because it's about our response to Him and our discipleship. But that doesn't mean Jesus shuts everything down He had planned for you and me because I mess up. Remember, there is grace in the process. I will do everything I can to work those words into every message for the rest of the semester so that at some point, you don't just know it here, you know it here, okay? And Jesus wants to reconcile us to Himself and to the Father. Our sin doesn't exclude us from God's call. It gives Him an opportunity to extend His grace to us. To truly understand the fullness of God's love for us. You see, it's in this story that Jesus had an opportunity to show His disciples one last powerful example of His grace, His love, and His reconciliation. There is a good aspect that comes from Peter making a kind of a rash decision. It's the fact that Peter's friends actually stood with him. Many times in life, we'll try to make what we feel on the inside real on the outside. When we're down on ourselves, there is a natural tendency 
to want to isolate ourselves from others. Peter didn't ask the other disciples to go with him. He stated a fact, and they just kind of invited themselves along for the boat ride. Peter probably didn't even want them to go with him, and yet Peter made no effort to stop them either. And while Peter was struggling the most, they're all facing the same issues. They're all facing the same problems. They're all facing the same change. And they decided that Peter didn't have to go through it alone. In Chi Alpha, we have a couple sayings that we want to be a part of our culture. The first one is live, love, lead. Live life together. Love people with Christ's love. Lead people to Jesus. The idea of living life with people comes directly from Jesus himself. The word tells us that he will be called Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Jesus' role, bringing God's presence to man to be with us. Jesus comes to earth, gathers 12 guys together to be with them for more than three years. And in that time with Jesus, it changes them. You see in Acts 4 that the disciples, Peter and John, were recognized as bold and powerful because they had spent time with Jesus. There was nothing special about these guys. They were not educated. They were not smart. They were fishermen. But they had spent time with Jesus. And in spite of all the ups and downs, the disciples, I wasn't half the time not sure if they learned things, they got one major idea down from Jesus. They were committed to the idea of living life with. You see, there is power when the body of Christ comes together to spend time with each other. And the uh, disciples also understood another important thing that we believe here in Chi Alpha that we are better together. During difficult times, the wisest response we can have is to stay together. If you've ever seen a horror movie, you know that's true. But when friends are in crisis, students stay together. When there are family problems, stay together. When you are having issues in work and in school, stay together. When you need help spiritually, stay together. Jump to our relationship talk next week. When a Christian marriage is in crisis, stay together. The moment that we want to disassociate is the moment we need to force ourselves to be with. And so that brings us to the next question I want you to think about and take to the Lord. Who do you need to spend more time with? In your life, who do you need to spend more time with? If you're struggling,
Who do you need to reach out to? Who do you need to be a part of? And in your life, look around. If you see someone pulling away, trying to get away from you, you go after that person. You be like the disciples and say, we're coming with you. I don't want you with me. doesn't matter. You're stuck with me. Okay, back to the story here. The disciples, they go fishing all night, and how much do they catch? Nada. This is kind of familiar for these guys. Uh, I mean, three and a half years ago, there was a very similar story to this one. And the fun thing is, I, I, without doubt, can we all agree that if Jesus wanted to, he could appear in that boat and made all the little fishies jump in if he wanted to, right? If he did that, though, they would have never realized how much they need him. It's kind of part of the reason that Missy and I let Taylor try and fail so that she knows we can help her. I joke with the staff, and I've said him many times, ministry is 20% prevention, 80% cleanup. If I had my way, none of you all would ever make mistakes, and you'd be perfect. Eh, not going to happen. And yet we're still supposed to be there. Jesus had been there the whole time. He was there the whole time as they worked. Jesus let them do things their way. He let them get tired. He let them get frustrated. He let them catch nothing. And it was finally when they were worn out and exhausted, that was the moment they were finally ready for Jesus. That's the moment that he stepped up on the beach. And while it was still dark enough that the disciples couldn't even see him, Jesus calls out to him, Hey guys, have you caught any fish? Just so you know, Jesus loves to ask questions he already knows the answer to. He's Jesus. He knows the answer anyways. And they give him a simple one-word answer. No. And so Jesus tells him, throw your net to the right side of the boat and you'll get some. And they did it. And he was right. That brings us to the second behavior of a desperate person. Desperate people look desperately for answers. Desperate people look desperately for answers. How many of you are willing to admit you know someone or maybe you have been a person that has been desperate enough to take advice from anybody? Even if that's bad advice from people. See, there are a lot of voices in this world. Jesus is not the only one trying to talk to you. There is a reason why the psychic hotline in Miss Cleo made a bunch of money, okay? Oh, and side note, don't ever mess with my wife. Uh, a couple years ago, someone stole our credit card, and the only reason that we, know, that we noticed they stole it was because they had called the psychic hotline, which I don't believe in, and if it was true, it would be a demon, and he's not trying to help me out, okay? But within 30 minutes, Missy figured out who stole our card, 
had him set up a sting. It was someone at our insurance company. And they caught the guy, Mr. Anthony Thomas. Hope you're doing well. Um, <laughs> he had caught, he had stolen eight credit cards. And uh, needless to say, he lost his job. And evidently the psychic network did not tell him about my wife or losing his job in his near future. It's funny, but there are a lot of desperate people in this world looking desperately for answers. And they really are willing to take advice from anyone. TV, celebrities, social media influencers, whatever that means, I don't know. Politicians. And it's even true of Christians. Paul, Apostle Paul warns his spiritual son, Timothy, that they, referring to Christians, will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever they want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. The voices can be dangerous. The voice is powerful. There is a good that comes from desperately looking for answers. You see, sometimes it takes being desperate to finally be open to the truth. People can be stubborn. I'm really good at being stubborn. To receive the truth from the Lord, many times He will use our frustration, our desperation, to finally open up our eyes to what we need. See, when I've read this story, I've always thought it was kind of weird that the disciples would go along with some random guy's advice in the middle of the night. Why would they listen to some random dude that they had no idea who it was? I thought it was a little weird, a little creepy. I'm not listening to the dude standing on the shore telling me what to do. But I think there was more going on in the story that we might be overlooking. If you go back to verse 5, it says, Fellows, have you caught any fish? That word fellows is translated in a lot of Bibles as children. Children, have you caught any fish? But when you get into it a little bit more, it's not the affectionate term, Hey kids, how are you doing today? It's as a teacher speaking to his students. It would be crazy to listen to some random guy on the shore telling them to throw their nets on the other side of their boat. Their boat's not that big here, okay? If, they, if the fish are on one side, they're going to be on the other. Five feet isn't going to make a difference. But you know what? It's not crazy if they knew it was their master's voice. I mean, just you got to imagine that they're standing out on this boat and they hear this familiar voice in the distance calling out to them. And I get this weird feeling that they knew what was going on. No one said it. No one wanted to be the crazy guy. But it's probably one of those oh no moments. You don't, that, that voice, 
sounds familiar. Could, could it be him? The same voice that they spent more than three years listening to? The same voice that had told them to go out deeper is now telling them to throw their net on the other side of the boat and you'll find what you're looking for? That's why they took the advice of someone that was unseen. Students, life can leave you disoriented. It can leave you desperate. It can leave you confused. It can make it hard to see the shore when you're standing on the boat. But you don't have to see to know the Savior's voice. Faith isn't about what we see. It's about what we know. When we know the shepherd's voice, when we know what he has done for us, then we don't have to see him to know what he is telling us is good, is true, is right, and will produce the thing that we're looking for in our lives. So that brings us to the next question. Are you listening to the right voice? Are you listening to the right voice? And what voices are you allowing to speak into your life? Are you letting the Lord? Or have you let other voices creep in there that you've given priority over Jesus? So as we know, the disciples get a big haul. And they get caught up in the excitement of this huge catch. And honestly, I think they kind of, in the fun of everything, they kind of forget, forgot the guy who gave them the answer they needed. That never happens. We get blessed and we enjoy the blessing. Sometimes we forget the blesser, right? They forget until John says out loud what everyone had probably been thinking at one time. It's the Lord. And when Peter heard that, he does, well, the logical same thing. He slowly paddles back to shore, hops out and says, good morning, Jesus. That's not what happened, okay? If you didn't hear the whole story, you might want to read it again. No. Peter has stripped and he's working because he's sweating like a pig and hears Jesus is on the shore and so he does the logical thing and puts on his wool robe. And then he jumps into the dark, creepy water, which I don't like swimming at night. Kind of, You don't know what's under there and stuff. And then he proceeds to swim the length of a football field to get to Jesus. See, that brings us to the final thing that desperate people do. Being desperate leads to desperate actions. And I'm not going to belittle the bad here. I think we can all agree there are times in our lives when we find ourselves in a dis- uh, desperate situation that we feel like we have to do something and not necessarily the best thing or the smart thing 
but we feel like we have to do something. When it's of the Lord, it can be really good. When it's not, it's heck of scary. Being desperate can be a good thing. God wants us to be desperate for His presence. When you hear the voice of God, go after Him. Peter knows he's been a jerk. Peter knows he has denied the Son of God. He knows that there's a chance he could be rejected by Jesus, but he's willing to take the risk. And so like a crazy man, he jumps into the water and swims to Jesus. Students, it is better to run to God than hold back and be alone. And I know we say it a lot, and I know it's true up to a point that life is a journey. Life with Jesus is a marathon. But, but, there are moments in your life when you will hear the small, still voice of God and you better jump into the water and swim to Him. You need to spend yourself to get to the presence of God. You need to go the extra mile, spend your energy. You don't need another plan. You don't need another strategy. You need the person of Jesus Christ in your life. Students, sometimes it takes going through hard times. Sometimes it takes going through failures to get desperate for God. Sometimes it takes transitions and change to get desperate for God. I believe that Peter had gotten a little bit too accustomed to Jesus' presence. For more than three years, he walked and talked and ate and ministered with Jesus. Peter needed a little bit of a shakeup in his life to remind him how important Jesus was to him. And it is easy, easy to take something that is precious in our lives for granted when it becomes the norm when it becomes routine. And if you're taking notes, write down the next words that come out of my mouth, please. You may not like it, it's truth. Jesus cares more about your presence than he does your comfort. Jesus cares more about your presence, being with him, than he does about your comfort. Comfort's temporary, folks. It comes and goes. And being comfortable is one of the greatest weapons the enemy uses against us. Sure, we face spiritual attacks. Sure, Satan will try to confuse us. But let me just tell you, comfort is the drug that keeps the sleeping giant that is his church in a stupor. We need to get desperate so that we are so compelled to do whatever we need to to seek God's presence. If you don't get anxious hearing God's voice and desperate to get to His presence, you're 
in trouble. And he needs to stir you again. And you see, it's in that pursuit of God's presence we find exactly what we need. That grace that we've been talking about. Verse 9, when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. In verse 12, Jesus says, uh, Now come and have some fit. Excuse me. Now come and have some breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. Man, we read the story, we don't realize how beautiful a picture this is. Disciples who are worn out and tired from a long night. Men who are confused and scared about their futures. They get out of their boat and enter the Lord's presence. And what do they find as they enter into His presence? Breakfast waiting for them. Exactly what they needed at that moment. And if you think about it, it's especially amazing because Jesus could have been doing anything else with His time. Jesus was only going to be on earth a short while longer. Jesus had a pretty limited schedule here, folks, okay? And I'm sure there are things that you and I believe that He could be doing to make better use of His time. Jesus, maybe you should be out preaching. Maybe you should be out healing people, bringing people back from the dead. And yet, in His last moments on earth, He both provided and prepared a meal for the people He loved. To serve His disciples. Like I said, Jesus had been there the whole time, folks. He had started the fire. He was cooking the fish. He was making the bread all in preparation for the disciples to come to Him. All they needed to do was come to the shore and get what they need from His presence. A couple takeaways from this message I want you guys to think about and I want you to know. Once again, Jesus has what you need. We spend so much of our lives trying to busy ourselves, trying to get what we think we need. Jesus has what you need. He's been preparing it for you this whole time. And He could be doing anything else, but you're important enough to Him that He's prepared a meal for us in His presence. Desperately pursue Him. And secondly, if Jesus had enough time in His busy schedule for people and took time to serve people, so do we. We need more fire builders, bread makers, fish cleaners, doing the dirty jobs to serve people. 
said it before, but we don't need more declarations of faith. We need more demonstrations of faith. Serving changes you. And it changes the people you're serving. And so the final question I want you to take before the Lord tonight is this one. Who is God calling me to serve? Who has God put in my life that I need to be serving? And quite honestly, it's probably the people you think that deserve it the least. The disciples didn't deserve the creator of the universe to make food for them, to spend time with them. They didn't deserve any of that considering they betrayed him and walked away from him. And yet, Jesus found them worthy to serve them. Who in your life do you need to serve tonight? to be like Jesus. Bow your heads, close your eyes.